I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. In the next hour, it's the singer-songwriter who inspired NPR's very first Tiny Desk concert, a writer who used to host a variety show almost exactly like this one. Oh, wait, it was actually this one. And an actress whose character on Bob's Burgers has learned a shocking fact about the family business. Turns out Dad has been putting murdered cows in our hamburgers. It's, it's... From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with illustrator Lisa Hannawalt, writer Courtney Hommeister, Kristen Schaal and Scott Jacobson from Bob's Burgers, and music from Laura Gibson and John Roderick on this edition of Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. You've also got comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. And as always, music from our house band led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. All right, thank you so much for being here at the Alberta Rose Theater. Before we get started in earnest today, just a little personal news from me. I don't know how to break this to some of the ladies, but I got married last week. Not totally the reaction I was going for. I was thinking more disappointment, gnashing of teeth. That was more like excitement that I was going to stop texting you late at night. That's fine. That's a reaction. That's good. Um, it, was, it was a sort of ambitious thing that we did. We, um, we only planned the wedding for two weeks. And because the wedding happened in such a quick fashion, there were a few, a few bumps in the road. For one, the, um, the town in Washington State where we had the wedding on the same weekend was having its world's famous rhododendron festival. <laughs> and by world famous, they meant no one outside of the town of Port Townsend has heard of it. <laughs> but it was an exciting enough event for them that the gal who worked at the flower shop where we were supposed to get the flowers for the wedding closed for the afternoon so she could go to the rhododendron festival parade and my thought was like if there's one person who doesn't have to go to the flower parade it's the lady who works at a flower shop but she was committed and so the wedding ended up starting kind of late because we didn't have the flowers on time and there was a few other snafus um, one of the things that we thought would be cute would be if we would, uh, we gave out little uh, movie theater popcorn boxes to everybody to kind of eat popcorn during the wedding. And, um, the kids loved it. My, I have this little nephew named Jack. He's just kind of the light of my life. He's like two years old. And he came up to me and he sort of hugged my legs and he looked up with these big eyes and he coughed slash vomited. <laughs> popcorn right onto my crotch. <laughs> like five seconds before the wedding. <laughs> Which was not a total fashion choice I was going for 
But I actually think this wedding was a really good preparation for me for the idea of being married. It is a pretty crazy proposition if you think about it. Like, you're standing up there with some other person and you're saying to them, like, I'm gonna love you for my entire life, no matter, like, what you get into. <laughs> and they're looking at you and saying the same thing. You know, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty crazy thing to think that might work out through the course of somebody's life, and yet, all over the country, we're doing it all the time. And, and I would say, uh, in, a, in a sort of a, a great turn of events, people of, of every sexual orientation can actually do this now in certain states. And I would say to the, uh, to the gays and lesbians, may God have mercy on your soul with this marriage thing that we're all now able to do. But anyway, I just felt like, you know, going forward in, uh, in this life together with this other person, it was a good thing that we kind of got off to a start that was a little bit unpredictable, right? Because again, that's, that's what we're all gonna be going through in this life. I mean, we have one of two options, right? When we're going forward in this life, in this marriage maybe, when things get complicated. One thing is to say, oh my God, the universe just metaphorically vomited popcorn on my crotch. <laughs> this is too hard, right? This was a bad idea. I wanna just, I'm gonna call it off. And the other thing is to back with quiet dignity away from the altar and go to the bathroom and find one of those hand dryers and raise your pelvis up towards it and dry the popcorn. And I, I voted for door number two. And I'm going to keep trying to do that for the rest of my life. So I'll let you guys know how it goes, okay? Thank you. Our musical guest today is a Northwest favorite. Laura Gibson is a Portland singer-songwriter who's played hundreds of shows, including South by Southwest and even the original NPR Tiny Desk Concert. They were saving up for a regular-sized desk, but you guys did not donate enough during the pledge drive, so they've just got a tiny one, and she's played it. Please welcome to the stage, Laura Gibson. Two kids, no tricks, only rich in time Say never look back We'll throw out every dollar we have Make a move, trade a roof for the open sky Living on luck Tethering our hopes to a pickup truck They'll tell us, honey, you've got to know, you've got to know where you're going. But you're my son, my northern lights, my southern cross. And if we're going to die young, we're going to die with a love song in our mouths. Oh, oh, Two hearts, new start, every card is wild Never fearing our fate The radio up with the windows down Loose hands, slow dance under crooked stars We're clumsy at love living to the beat of a cricket song now tell us, dear, you've got to fear, you've got to fear it all. But you are my sun, my northern lights, my southern cross. If we're gonna die young, we're gonna die with a love song in our mouths. Oh.
and maybe my darling there's more than following an endless road and maybe someday we're gonna trade our freedom for a better home for a house and a yard and a son and a daughter and a steady job but today Two kids, who knows where the road will find us? But with you in my arms, living every moment we've got. Lord Gibson, ladies and gentlemen. Travelers, the troll needs your answer. What goes on four legs in the morning, two legs at midday, and three legs at twilight? I don't know. I can't think of any such creature. Oh, maybe it's not a creature at all. Oh, I think I know it. It's a man. A man walks on four legs in the morning, two legs during the day, and three legs in the evening. The day is a metaphor for his life. Very good. Second riddle. A man and his wife have been married for 24 years. They've been terrifically happy for most of it, but recently they've been intimate less and less. Your riddle, is she cheating on him? Well, there's no way to say from just that. I mean, just because intimacy changes doesn't mean that somebody is cheating. So you think the troll's wife still loves him? Uh, troll? Did I say troll? I meant man, the man's wife. She still wants to be with him. Is that your final answer? Oh, I, I really don't know. I mean, is she doing something suspicious? She's been buying a lot of dresses recently. 24 years, and she never wears nothing but burlap. And then all of a sudden, she starts this new yoga class, and she's spending all our gold at Gork the Seamstress. Uh, yoga class? Huh, that definitely sounds like cheating to me. No! Uh, ah, I knew it! I mean... Curse uh, be upon her! Positive. No, 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 it could be a lot of things. Yeah, maybe the yoga and the dresses are just to make her feel younger. That's, prob that's probably what yes, it is. Yes. That's what it you is. You think? Def oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <clears throat> Good. But then why doesn't she want to be intimate? Do you think it's because the man has been gaining weight recently? Is this a new riddle or the same one? Uh, sure, yeah, new riddle. Uh, storms and trees, fiddle-dee-dees. It's time to answer riddle tree. Uh, does the troll look fat to you? Uh, you don't look fat at all. Not me, it's the riddle. But thank you. Well, uh, hypothetically, that torn leather tunic is very slimming. Thanks. It's just so hard to eat healthy, you know? It, I mean, hypothetically, the troll's got a weakness for billy goats, and he hypothetically knows where a whole herd of billy goats live, and so even though he knows he should eat more toad salads, he does nothing but eat billy goats for days at a time, but then hypothetically, he feels very guilty about it, but hypothetically, toad salad just doesn't taste as good as billy goats. <laughs> hypothetically. Oh. Maybe he should start by just taking a walk once a day, hypothetically. Yeah, or he could even try going to yoga with his wife. Oh, but the riddle man couldn't possibly go to yoga. He's never been happy with his arms. His mom was always so critical of his appearance. I, I'm not a supermodel mother, I'm a troll, okay? I'm going to have weird arms. Yeah. I think... The man just needs to tell his wife how he's feeling. Maybe they can go on a vacation together and recapture some of the magic. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds very reasonable. You have answered all the riddles to my satisfaction. You may cross. Oh, thank goodness. Let's get moving. Come on, Doc. Halt! What, what is it? We answered your riddles. Did you say Doc? Yeah, she's a physician. Ah, well, of course, doctors have to answer four riddles. Your last riddle. Look at my back. Does that wart look benign? That was Paul Glazer, Trisha Ferguson, and Andrew Harris.
You're listening to Livewire, the radio show that could probably beat up John Tesh's Intelligence for Your Life show. If we had to. We probably won't, but don't push it, Tesh. Coming up, writer Courtney Hommeister, illustrator Lisa Hannawalt, and Kristen Schaal and Scott Jacobson from Bob's Burgers. We'll be right back. If you got up this morning wondering about, say, North American wildlife and festive hats or ways to tell that Martha Stewart is drunk, then our next guest is just the guest for you. Lisa Hannawalt is an award-winning illustrator whose latest collection, My Dirty Dumb Eyes, is funny, informative, periodically pornographic, and maybe the only graphic memoir in which the artist portrays herself as a horse and sometimes a moose. We're going to find out more about that. Please welcome Lisa Hannawalt to LiveWire. Lisa Hannawalt, welcome Hello. to LiveWire. Hello. I really, really enjoyed this book. When did you get a sense that you had a talent for drawing? Um, I started drawing cats when I was six because uh, when I grew up, I wanted to be a cat. So I drew my self-portrait as a cat man wearing a Hawaiian shirt because I also wanted to be Weird Al Yankovic mm-hmm. when I grew up. Who didn't? Yeah. He was the coolest. Um, and yeah, then I just kept drawing and didn't really stop. I've noticed that in your book there are, um, and I, I don't want to sound reductive, but there are certain drawings where it's very crude, and then there are other ones where <laughs> you're really, really good at depicting like famous TV chefs. Like, Thank I look you. at the TV chefs, and I'm like, that's Emerald. Right. And then there are the other things where they're borderline, almost stick drawings. How do you decide which one you're going to use at which time? It sort of depends on the subject matter. Like, if it's about, um, like, one of the comics is about a wedding registry. And for that, it's such a, it's like something you would see on Pinterest or something. It's so refined. And for that, I'm like, okay, I want to draw this so it looks like it's drawn with, like, my left hand. And, um, you know, to sort of break down something, you know, the, what, what the expectations of that subject matter are. Um, whereas with, like, the animals, I want to render them in a way that's so perfect that it's almost like a scientific illustration. You have one where you, I assume it's you, with a moose head, have gotten obsessed with making clay fingers. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of them are, as you, as you write, visual puns, like fingers crossed, and then you just cross two fingers. Yeah. Were you really making these in real life? Yes. Um, <laughs> I need to take a break from drawing sometimes because, you know, it's my job. So it gets tiring and I feel like I burn out really quickly because I work so hard at it. And so sometimes to take a break but to still feel like I'm making something, I'll just sort of take out some Sculpey and make something. And the first thing that comes to mind is fingers because I'm looking down at my fingers. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just sculpt what I see. Um, and I like puns and wordplay. So I started making these sculptures and I was like, what? hell am I doing these are horrible they're really creepy and they're like scattered all around my house at this point so then I I started making a comic about a moose um, who is making finger sculptures and she's asking her boyfriend like what am I doing like these are terrible Um, (laughs) is that a real conversation you had with a real boyfriend yeah word for word Um, I was on the bed whining about what I do which is ridiculous. Um, 
and he said, it doesn't matter if you feel good or bad when you make stuff, just move your hands, just keep making things. When it's finished, like, nobody can tell how you felt when you were making it. Um, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> He's right. Um, and then I just wrote a comic of that verbatim. I mean, does it feel vulnerable for you to, like, depict an actual conversation you had on a bed with your boyfriend where you were feeling like shit, even if you have a moose head? Well, if I give myself a moose head, it's not quite me. So I can say, like, oh, yeah, that silly moose. That's just something stupid she does. It's not really... (laughs) It's not me. Completely. We actually wanted to uh, uh, give folks an example of one of your movie reviews, the movie War Horse. Yes. But we thought because this is radio, we'd try to bring it to life a little bit. So we wanted to welcome back Kristen Schaal here, who is going to do a little bit of um, three-dimensional interpretation. Okay, so... Did you make your shirt, Lisa? No, I wish. I'm, oh, okay. I'm wearing a shirt with boobs drawn all yeah, over it. Yeah, it's incredible. I just <laughs> do not notice, Luke. <laughs> I have been uh, instructed by the police to just make steady eye contact with the female guests. Um, I, I just it. feel really confident in this shirt. Flaunting yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, girl. Can we do the rest of the interview about this shirt? Yes. I seriously didn't even look at it. Um, yeah, I was like, I just asked about it, like, has he not commented on the shirt yet? Is that just something that we're just going to let go? You know, like, he's wearing a shirt with boobs on it. And it's gorgeous. It's the most gorgeous shirt I've ever but seen. But what the radio audience doesn't know is you're wearing a kilt covered in penises. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, my kilt has the penises on the outside. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. And it, that's why it was so, it's hard to sit. I try. All right, all right, all right. Okay, okay. So how? So so uh, so Lisa's gonna read the review and and then we're gonna describe it and you know because it's it's like this is a book. Yeah. And it's, and it's it's an illustrated book. Yeah. So here we're, we go. We're gonna do our best to translate. And then we're gonna it. eat food and talk about what it tastes like. So. <laughs> yep. All of the most interesting things one can do on the radio. So here we go. This is Lisa Hanawalt reading from her book, My Dirty Dumb Eyes, and Kristen Schaal doing some uh, sort of color commentary on this movie review of War Horse, please. Um, So just to give this some context, um, I could write an entire book about horses and how into them I am, but let's just say that I used to be a horse from ages 8 to 14. uh, Former classmates still ask me, were you that girl who drew ponies and crawled around on all fours all the time? Mom, is it legal for people to marry horses? That's a real thing. I asked my mom, and she was so nice. She was like, um, maybe it'll be legal when you're older. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, uh, what is it, Catherine the Great? Oh, yeah. She had several horse husbands. I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky lady. <laughs> oh. Got a lot of Catherine in you. Oh. No. Sorry. Sorry. That's not in the book. God. Uh. Anyways, you guys, I've seen a lot of horse movies, and I somehow convinced my boyfriend's family that going to see War Horse was a good idea. Should we see Tinker Tailor Soldier? War Horse? Young adult? Or War Horse? Oh, War Horse. Ghost Protocol? Horse War to Call. So here's my review. Um, So the story gets going when an old drunk guy buys War Horse at auction for 30 guineas. 30! Sold for 30 guineas! And then there's this old guy uh, holding 30 uh, guinea pigs. Feeling soft and squishy. (laughs) But they love me. (laughs) Uh, In case you're unfamiliar with the genre, every horse movie is about a plucky young person forming a special bond with an otherwise difficult and unruly horse because that's the most flattering thing that could ever happen to you is for a wild animal to trust only you and become your buddy. And it's super disappointing when you take riding lessons and your horse doesn't give a about you and tries to rub you off on trees. <laughs> that happened to me. Um, right off the bat, I was disappointed that War Horse wasn't more badass and it wasn't a horse version of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So then Lisa illustrates um, a gorgeous horse 
with a what what kind of gun? An M16. Right, an M16 uh, gun strapped to its side, just like going off, and the horse is like racing into war. War horse. War horse. <laughs> and he's got like hunger in his eyes for for killing, and then and justice. Um, right. <laughs> and then. Then underneath it, she drew this like plunky pony called a peace pony, with a with a lei like a Hawaiian lei around its neck. It's like and, the spinoff character, I think. Oh yeah, peace yeah. maybe they like live together. Yeah, <laughs> they're roommates. Yeah, what'd you do today? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, when I was in the movie theater, the woman sitting in front of me kept falling asleep, and I wanted to yell, Hey, snore horse! So bad. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I learned from this movie is that if you explain how important something is to a horse, it will understand you and then do that thing. <laughs> Joey, we need to plow this field or my family will be evicted. Uh, yeah, okay. I thought we were just, like, dicking around out here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think we were doing? <laughs> Um, sometimes when I'm riding in a car I look out the window and imagine that there's horses running alongside the road and they're jumping over fences and mailboxes and stuff and uh, sometimes when I'm jogging I pretend I'm a horse and then if I'm really in the groove I make these little rhythmic clucking noises to myself so I'm also the rider it's like I'm riding myself yeah and so and so Lisa's done an incredible uh, d- dual self-portrait of her uh, jogging with another her saddled on her back with reins and a bridle bit. And the running her is listening to her iPad, and then the riding her has a, has what, what like a jockey cap? Yeah, like a riding hat. <laughs> just the works. It's amazing. It's like, what is going on in that noggin? This is going on, you know? I love it. So in conclusion, this is a standard horse movie about projecting human ideals, emotions, and symbolism onto animals with a decent war movie sandwich in the middle. There are about four scenes where the horse runs really fast and it's really pretty, so I give it four out of five horseshoes. I swear we will be together again, pretty, pretty horsey. Ugh, you need to get laid. Hey, Lisa Hannibal and Kristen Schaal, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Done. That's the end. Thank you. Livewire is sponsored in part by Whole Foods Market. You got a dad or a dad-like person in your life? Father's Day is coming up, and if that fatherly person in your life enjoys, say, like a big slab of manly brisket, Whole Foods has beef with no added growth hormones or antibiotics. Come on. Dad's dealing with enough. What with those student loans he co-signed for you? He doesn't need to be worrying about growth hormones and antibiotics. Ain't nobody got time for that. More information can be found at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Up next, a person Livewire fans are fairly familiar with. She's a writer, a filmmaker, and a playwright whose work can be found in McSweeney's Oregon Humanities Magazine and the anthology What Was I Thinking? 58 Bad Boyfriend Stories. Oh, and she also used to host this very show. Please welcome Livewire's former host, current head writer, and newly minted essayist, Courtney Hameister, to Livewire Radio. Thanks, you guys. (laughs) I know I was funny at one point in the beginning. I remember him laughing. His bright blue eyes would sparkle, his nose would crinkle up, and he'd bare his teeth like a wolf, someone dressed in a shirt and tie. But they always laugh in the beginning, don't they? I was in my first grown-up romantic relationship, and I didn't know it at the time. But I was about to break the record for the number of mistakes made in a single adult liaison female division. The principal mistake being losing the single defining characteristic that most people in your life know and love about you. I wasn't the funniest person that I knew, or even the funniest person in my family, but I could elicit a guffaw when the situation warranted, and even got a job writing comedy, so I had proof that at least two people considered me a hoot. 
And if I was funny, I can thank my mother and brother for that. The first time I realized the power of humor, I was a freshman in high school. And my mother, who almost never got angry, was standing in the kitchen a week before Christmas. And my brother Scott had found her warm batch of gooey, about 100 chocolate kiss cookies, and he had pushed down the tops of every single one of them, essentially giving them all nipples. (laughs) Scott Gregory Hommeister, she said through gritted teeth, I can't put these in Christmas tins now, they're obscene. You could argue that obscene excess abounds in the holiday season, so they were still sort of holiday-themed if you thought about it. But that's not the point. The point is that Scott reversed his fate. He waited for a pause in the rant. He placed a perfectly timed wisecrack in the empty, angry space, and he waited. And after a moment, that excruciating moment when you're waiting to see if your joke's going to kill or die, mom was cackling instead of ranting. As adults, we're all aware of using humor to, to diffuse anger. It's, it's a technique we learn in therapy, in bars, and in the kitchens of holiday-crazed mothers. But the first time I saw it worked, it seemed like magic. In two seconds, my brother had made my mother feel the exact opposite of what she was feeling before. It sort of was magic. And I watched Scott carefully and learned, and eventually I'd become the funny girl at my high school, turning school assemblies into stand-up routines, and in the tradition of all comics, never, ever getting a date, ever. (laughs) Because it's a choice we make, not as men or women, but as people, funny or sexy, very seldom both. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be a funny, sexy woman. Portland alone has enough of them to fill a vegan, gluten-free, ethically-sourced artisanal airplane hangar. You can be considered sexy because you're funny, but while you're being funny, virtually impossible. When you ask someone to make a funny face, what are you asking her to do? Go put on some blusher and max new dramatic lengths clump-free mascara? No. You're asking her to cross her eyes and do that thing where you shove your top lip up past your gums so it sticks that way and you look like a badger. It's super sexy. And in our culture, not being sexy can feel more problematic for women than men. Think of iconic funny women moments. Lucille Ball stuffing chocolates into her mouth on an assembly line. Carol Burnett wearing a curtain rod. Gilda Radner as Lisa Lubner or Roseanne Rosanna Danner. Steve Martin was right. Comedy isn't pretty because comedy is about finding our foibles and exaggerating them. And the beginning of a relationship is all about foible concealment. (laughs) This was my problem with the wolf. I wanted to be attractive to him all the time, and I noticed that he didn't have a lot of patience for jackassery. My superfly dance moves did not move him. My deeply flawed Scottish brogue was not amusing. The fact that I yelled, I'm okay, every time I dropped something, no matter what the size of the clatter or the item, utterly befuddled him. Do you have to say that every single time? He said one night in the kitchen. It's not like I think you've hurt yourself whenever I hear something hit the ground. It's ridiculous. Yes. Yes, it is ridiculous. So I stopped saying it. I didn't stop dropping things. That would be miraculous. My brother used to call me HR dropping stuff. (laughs) But I did stop being amused by it. I also stopped joking with him almost completely. And one reason for this could be his aforementioned lack of patience for dorkiness. But it could also be the fact that comedy is inherently aggressive. When I make a joke, I'm hoping to elicit an involuntary physical response from you, a laugh. And once I do, I've gained a degree of power in our dynamic. It's one of the reasons that it's so hard for a comedian to get a laugh in a room full of other comedians. A joke either kills or dies. You cannot get more aggressive than that. And the last thing I would ever want to be with this guy was aggressive. This was the first time anyone had loved me, so I I never wanted to test the bounds of it. I remember getting back from what was a perfectly nice day in a tulip field, and he said, what a great day. Wasn't that great? But I hardly laughed, I thought, at all. How is something fun if there's no laughing in it? Oh, are you a robot? If you are, you should tell me, because I will make very different choices if I know that you're made out of metal and plastic polymers. I actually, I have some other stuff made of plastic polymers, and I know how to handle those. So... 
Mercifully, that relationship finally ended after two years, but not by my hand. Apparently, I would have gone on for years struggling with this funny, sexy conundrum, eventually allowing all the humor to be wrung out of my body, which is, incidentally, what I think can happen to supermodels if they're denied carbs for long enough. (laughs) What I'd failed to realize at the time was that whoever we love, we love them for all the things that they are. Sexy, sad, loud, happy, odd, neurotic, quiet, weirdly enthusiastic, the number of things that can live in us all at once is baffling and a little miraculous. And what I'll remember for the next time is that while it's hard to be sexy and funny at the exact same time, there are few things sexier than someone who just made you laugh. Good afternoon. My name is Chris James. I've played in the NBA for six years, and after Jason Collins and now Jalen Messersmith both announced that they're gay, it only feels right that I, too, come forward with my own admission. I, I have no idea how to play basketball. Please, please hold your questions. Can I, I just need to get through this. I know this seems a little weird because I'm, you know, in the NBA, but this is true, okay? Last year, I averaged less than a point a game. That's not even a basket. Uh, I'm better at rebounding, uh, but that's jumping up and grabbing the ball. I call it jump and grab. It took me four years to figure out that rebound meant jump and grab. Uh, I get panicked when I get the ball, so I always just hand it to this guy, Tony. Uh, I just yell, hey, Tony, and he usually shows up and he takes it from me. I'm I'm terrible at bounce and walk. That's when you... uh, That's when you bounce the ball on the floor and you walk at the same time. Some guys can do it while they're running, and that's just... Yeah... I'm better at keep away. That's where you slap the ball away from the guys in the other colors. It's pretty easy to remember because we usually wear gray shirts and the other guys don't. Uh, but I'm bad at, at quiet throwing. That's when you, you stand on a line and everyone just watches you throw the ball at, the, at that net thing. I hope that I can count on the support of my teammates and the NBA as I move forward completely out in the open because I'm tired of living a lie. And I still want to make four and a half million dollars a year, don't get me wrong. And, you know, people who say I'm not worth that, well, that's just, that's ignorance and, and maybe even bigotry talking. So I don't want to be judged uh, or persecuted for being myself, okay? Thank you. Tony, I'm done! That's Andrew Harris. You are listening to Livewire Radio, the radio show Lakshmi Singh turns to when she wants to find out what's really going on in this crazy world. We'll be right back.
If there's a more charming family on TV than the Belchers from Bob's Burgers, we haven't met them. The show centers around a family-owned burger joint with daily burger specials like The Roquefort Files, Camembert Legal, and The Last of the Mohicama. Kristen Shaw, who you've also seen on 30 Rock and Flight of the Concords, voices Louise, the youngest daughter, who is never without her pink bunny ears and apparently does not like science very much. Has anyone seen my volcano? Did you check all your pockets? Can you describe what it looks like? Well, it's volcano-shaped, and it's my science fair project from last year. Oh, it's in the liquor cabinet. I've been using it as a wine koozie. It's fun. I love it. Introducing my science fair project for this year. Hold on. Wait, you're turning in the same project again? Will Mr. Blevins let you do that? Yeah, Louise, he's not just a teacher. He's the head of the science fair. He must be swimming in women. Don't worry about Blevins. I can play him like a fiddle. A strange puppy fiddle with a ponytail and a sad butt. From Bob's Burgers, please welcome Kristen Shaw and writer-producer Scott Jacobson to Livewire. A lot of uh, Bob's Burgers fans here. You guys just wrapped up doing a Bob's Burgers live tour. How does that work exactly to do the live version of an animated series on Fox? Well, what we did, all the voice actors on the show are also stand-ups. So everybody did 10 minutes of stand-up, and then we did uh, a table read, and then we answered questions. And we usually show an animatic of a, of a future show, but when we performed at the Crystal Ballroom, the machines broke. Yeah, that ballroom's haunted. It really is. Um, the when the show started out on Fox, I know it sort of had mixed reviews, and now everyone says it's the best thing that's ever been created. What happened? Did you guys get better? Did the audience start to figure out what they were supposed to be paying attention to? <sighs> I think most of the yeah, maybe the audience figured it out finally. It, it, maybe I think their eyes adjusted to what we were doing a little bit more. I I also feel like when anything's new, it takes a lot. It's rare that a show comes out of the gate a hit. It happens every blue moon. And And I think it's nice when shows get some time to breathe and learn who they are and let the characters grow and then the writers can learn, like, what works best and how yeah. the characters interact. There's a big learning curve, and most shows don't even get a chance to get to the end of the curve because... After a few episodes, if it doesn't seem to be working, you know, they put a stop to it. But we were lucky enough to get a few seasons to If you look at the first episode of Seinfeld or Friends, it's utter sh- Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? The animation oh, is unwatchable. It, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, but you, then you got used to it. Then yeah. you started to think that those characters were attractive, you know? Just like yeah. Britney Spears. Like, she came out and I was like, no, I'm not having it. And yeah. then, like... She's in my face every day and in my dreams, and I'm like, what's she doing now? You know, that's <laughs> how it works. Uh, one of the things that I've read about how you guys actually create Bob's Burgers is that all of the voice actors are actually together when it's being recorded. Is that true? More or less. We have people calling in sometimes from... We, we have kind of a bi-coastal cast, so we'll have people calling in from New York... Fewer and fewer now. Everyone's moving to L.A. But, uh, yeah, we try to get everyone together. Uh, but even if they're calling in, they're in a studio somewhere else, yeah, but they it's can being recorded in other. real time. Exactly, yeah. Basically. You would think that there is so much more um, kind of dynamism and things that can come from you guys all actually being there when it's happening at the same time and improv and stuff. How do you guys actually create an episode? Uh, how, how would from what phase? From you, uh, let's well, say when it it's starts written. with the writers. You so, like, got this, of, Scott. Yeah. You got this. <laughs> He's like he asked you to lift like four hundred pounds. Um, <laughs> I got so all right. nervous. So it starts with an idea. <laughs> <laughs> how um, do you get that idea? Sometimes you're sitting on the toilet. You know. Sometimes of, you're driving in your car. Mostly, dreams. Mostly catalogs. Um, <laughs> idea catalogs that we get in the mail if you're a writer. Um, but no, it's a lot of the, it's writer driven. A lot of the writers, the writers will have an idea, and then we'll come up with a script. And the thing is, we try to keep the scripts. It doesn't always work. But we try to keep the scripts a little short because we know that the cast is going to improvise. Uh, Lauren, uh, it's, it came from uh, the top early on that he wanted people on the show who could improvise. And if someone was really funny but couldn't do that, then their value to Bob's Burgers is much lower. 
So a lot of the people you'll notice uh, we use uh, are people who could who are really funny on their feet, and we'll like run through a scene a couple times just by from the page, and then people will just go off and do what they want to do. And we use a lot of the improv from like the third and fourth takes. I was wondering what tends to make it into the show. Is it the written stuff, or is it more the stuff that people are just kind of coming up with? It's really both because you need the written stuff to drive it along, for one thing. But and a lot of the time, the the best improvised stuff feels just, um, you, you sometimes get greedy for it because it's so funny, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the story. And so yeah, we have to shoehorn it in yeah, whenever yeah. we can. Has there been a thing, Kristen, that you can remember improving that you were just so proud of and then it just didn't fit in the show and it was heartbreaking? No. <laughs> no. I you know better than to you know, yeah, throw no, away shawl gold. Cut your darlings, man. No, not at all. Um, really? But, so, I mean, do you feel like when there's something, there aren't ever creative clashes where there's something that you feel really good about that they're just like, it doesn't fit for time or for the plot oh, or something? No, no, the writers work so hard, and I always say this, that the funniest jokes are written by the writers. Like, the improv stuff is just like, mm, here and there, it's kind of funny, but the ones that hit home are the crafted jokes. But... By that same token, uh, we would say that uh, a lot of the stuff that really sticks with us is stuff that is just tossed off by, like, Eugene Merman is one of the cast members, uh, John Benjamin, John Roberts, uh, Dan Mintz, and Kristen are kind of the five core members of the cast. And a lot of our very favorite stuff is stuff that they don't even remember saying. That, like, people will come up to you or come up to Eugene and ask... Uh, you to do a line from the show that you don't even remember being in the show. No. It, when, when we record, we're just in the moment and we're laying it down. And here's the thing. There's no, like, I couldn't get mad about losing any piece of it because I have zero control after I leave this, the booth. Like, the, that stuff goes all the way to Korea and back, you know? <laughs> so I'm just happy it's, it's getting process. made. I think it's interesting that uh, you were just mentioning the cast. It's people like Eugene Merman and uh, H. John Benjamin. There seems to be this, and, and Christian, you're part of this, this small group of folks who I know have all known each other long before Bob's Burgers who do the voices. Was that because when the show was created, it was created with those actors in mind? Or Absolutely. Did you just rec- Christian, did you like recommend everybody else for the gig? No. Uh, you know, that's, every character is very heavily like, based on the personalities of the people who perform on the show. Uh, I mean, I, I know Lauren liked you tons going into this. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he did. He knew there was no one else. <laughs> there was no one else who was going to play Louise. Uh, nope. It was Kristen Shaw. Yeah. She didn't have to audition. Yeah, we all, no, nobody did. We, and the process was also very odd. Like, Fox was like, you know, we like you, Lauren Bouchard, but we're not totally sure. Um, can you just write a couple scenes and, and record them, and, and then we'll decide? So we did, we'd go into a booth every six months for two years and record a scene with the family. And then we'd like all go get some beers and be like, what was that? You know, I don't know. Who cares? I'm just happy we could have beers together. I never see you guys. And then for two years that happened. And then I remember I got this call and my agent was like, what's going on? Because she didn't even know I was doing this. But you're on a Fox cartoon. Were you ever going to tell me? And I was like, no, because I don't know. Am I? Oh, my God. They're going to do it? That's crazy. (laughs) It was really weird. (laughs) Is it a little bit shocking to, to sort of realize that this thing that is very, um, you know, I think it's, it is for people who I think get comedy. I don't mean that in a snobbish way, but what I mean is it's not the broadest of broad shows. I mean, it's, it's got a kind of, I think, a really interesting focus to it. And it's made by a bunch of people who are already friends. Is it weird that it keeps showing up on network TV every week? Like, it seems like kind of it a minor weird. miracle. Especially a lot of the people who work on this show come from a background with smaller, more niche networks. A lot of us have worked on Adult Swim stuff. Um, and we love that stuff still, but it's, it's very strange to know that The Simpsons is on before us. It's, yeah. It doesn't seem to be a thing that should happen. One of the things that happens a lot on the show is music. There seems to be a thread that's kind of woven through the show, and it's all, um, it strikes me as really funny, but kind of, I don't want to say low-tech in the recording, because I... You can go ahead and say that. It's a fairly low-tech kind of musical approach. A lot of the songs are kind of simplistic. I'm curious, how do the songs get developed? Who writes them? Who Um, records them? 
the, the focus on the music also comes from Lauren. He's a musician, and he like, wrote and recorded the theme song and a lot of the music on the show. But everyone on the staff is a big music fan. And some of the most popular songs, again, have been stuff that people just improvised just off the top of their heads. Uh, the, first, the first song to kind of break out would be... Uh, like the, the, We had a song on the Thanksgiving episode that John Roberts just improvised. And it, in its entirety, it was um, like, past the cranberry sauce, we're having mashed potatoes... Ah, the turkey looks great. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being there. <laughs> like, when does he improvise that song? I when got he... chills. <laughs> and it was, it, but for some... Thank you for loving me. Thank, thank you, you for, for being, being there. there. And, uh... He improvised that in the room. Yeah, that was yeah, entirely that was, John Roberts. Yeah. And it stuck in our heads for just weeks and months. And uh, we got the National to cover it. Because <laughs> uh, you, you directed a music video of the Nationals, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Starring Kristen. Yeah. yeah. Scott directed it. And Scott said, do you want to be in a music video? And I said, only if I can play the president. And he <laughs> so made it happen. We wrote it. Yeah. yeah. A video about Kristen, <laughs> President Kristen Schell. Yeah. Are, like, I, was it of America? I don't remember. Yeah, you were president of America. And yeah. you were having an affair with... <laughs> Country, yeah. yeah. No, the real president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only president yeah. that matters. Yeah. Just kidding. I love all the world. Okay, well all we. Have... <laughs> <laughs> we have. Uh, we don't have the national here, but we do have uh, our uh, our friend Laura Gibson, who is your earlier, and also John Roderick from the Long Winters. Yeah. And they've been. They've actually been preparing a song. Scott, this is, uh, I think it's going to be Electric Lover. Can you set uh, this well, up Electric for people? Electric Love. And Excuse it's me. actually, yeah, it's, it's from an episode where Louise, uh, Kristen's character, has a really crappy substitute teacher who loves Thomas Edison, and she wants to take him down a notch. So she puts together this uh, musical um, that's all about one of the darkest chapters in Edison's history. And it's, uh, at one point, I don't know if you're aware of this, and I hate to, like, uh, spoil no, Edison no, for you. No, this no, is, this is important. This is important, though, so listen up. Not all your heroes are perfect, okay? There's dual he, sides to them. He electrocuted an elephant. Yeah, he electrocuted an elephant, He wanted Portland. to show that uh, alternating current was really dangerous and that his DC current was so great. And, in, uh, in his defense, too, the elephant was a murderer, like a serial killer. Yeah, but... It stomped on three, trampled was, three people to death. I mean, they were like... Was, they're guilty, you know. And the elephant's like, yeah. But we, did, we did a song, Electric Love. The elephant was name was Topsy. Name was Topsy, and the Electric Love imagines a more gentle... Uh, ending to the Edison and Topsy story. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in the show it was performed by, um, by Kevin Klein, who's an Oscar winner, you guys. I don't know why he's doing our show. Um, <laughs> but we love that he is. He plays Fish Odor and our landlord, and then um, the amazing Megan Mullally plays Topsy, and she's just so talented, guys. guys. But this is also going to be great. It'll be this fine. This is going to be good, too. All right, should we hear okay. Electric Love, you yeah. guys? Yeah, so I'm going to sing it with John. I, this is my first radio singing uh, gig. And it, I don't it feels deserve like mine. it. I don't deserve it. All right, so here we go. This is uh, John Roger, Christian Schull, and also Laura Gibson. A little bit. They say Thomas Edison, he's the man to get us into this century. And that man is me. They'll say, autopsy at my autopsy, but no one will be more shocked than me. But I never noticed the curve of her trunk. And I Electric love. 
hear tunes or notes. So that sounded fine to me. It sounded great to me. <laughs> I'm a professional tune hearer, and that sounded That killer. was all right. It okay, great. great. Thanks. All right, do we have another one here? Yeah, we got I another one. see Laura striding yeah. to the microphone. What's, what's the uh, next on the... I mean, that went so well, I think... <laughs> Okay, right? It did. It was That's wonderful. actually okay. wonderful. You the know harmonies. What? I'm just going to retire over here. Whoa, he's done. I feel like that went so good, I'm just going to stand. Yeah, here. take the money and run, John. This is, we thought we'd take it down a notch, and there's a, an episode with uh, Kristen and her mom, played by John Roberts, where John Roberts is brushing her hair very tenderly and singing a lullaby. And we actually and, uh, have a clip of the original song, if people want to hear a little sample of what Let's, of yeah. what this sounded like. Can we can we play that for the folks? Here goes the hair. Here goes the hair. Where is Harry Truman? He's dead in the ground. He's dead in the ground. He's dead, 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 dead. All right, so that's the that's the original. That's the original. Now you'll hear uh, the new original. I don't know. Here comes know the new means. original. Kristen Shaw and Morgan. This is, this is like Gibson. heart uh, heart reuniting right now. Here goes the hair, there goes the hair Where is Harry Truman? He's dead in the ground, he's dead in the ground He's dead, 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 dead Here goes the hair, there goes the hair Where is Harry Truman? He's dead in the ground, he's dead in the ground He's dead, 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 So dead, 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 no coming back. Dead, 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 dead. He's gone. No way. His body is decomposing. Oh, dead, 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 He's a skeleton man right now. So dead, dead, there dead, are dead. worms covered in worms. Dead, everybody dies. That's for sure. That's the one thing we have in common. Rich dead. or poor, everybody dead. You're gonna die. Oh, dead, dead. Just like Harry Truman. Dead. Like him. Dead. Kristen Shaw and Laura Gibson, please also give it up for Scott Jacobson and Mr. John Roderick. Now that's that patented uplifting ending that we like here on Livewire Radio. That is, in fact, our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you didn't get quite enough Bob's Burgers, you can hear the full interview and some additional music by going to our website at livewireradio.org. Our thanks to our guests, Lisa Hanawalt, Kristen Schaal, Scott Jacobson, John Roderick, and Laura Gibson. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners like you fine, beautiful people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. Our show is also produced by Courtney Hameister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are Paul Glazer, Trisha Ferguson, and Andrew Harris. Our head writer is Courtney Hameister. Show writers are Sean McGrath, Jason Rouse, and Scott Poole. Our guest writer this show was Alex Falcone. Sound effects and direction by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bauck. Special thanks to Rose City Sound. Show theme is written by our house band and Courtney Vondrelli. Photography by Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. 
For more information about LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. Dear LiveWire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.